speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 69 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this is it. This is the last episode that we'll cover in any way. George Reeves television series, The Adventures of Superman. We're going to you know, take a look at the uh, tragic circumstances around the death of George Reeves, and with that, we will take a look at the movie Hollywoodland. And then after that, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, kind of the legacy that the show left us. We'll talk a little bit about a little bit about some of the crazy things the studio tried to do to keep the spirit of the show going, <laughs> and. Uh, this episode would not be complete without my uh, on-again, off-again partner for the Adventures of <laughs> Superman. We have the Silver Age kid himself, Bob Fisher. Hello. Yeah, last episode. This is sad. We're put, closing the book on that chapter of the Man of Screen podcast, the Adventures of Superman, the George Reeves error. Yeah. Our intro to this, we did that intro episode. That was episode 15. Really? Yep, here we are. Wow. 54, episode, yeah, about 54 yep. episodes later. That's amazing. That's amazing. 104 episodes covered. 102 episodes covered and a movie. That's pretty impressive. That is. If I do say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> and pretty much kept a weekly uh, uh, release date on them. That's, that's even more impressive. No, not, not pretty much. As long as this episode releases on time. Very cool. It will have been 69 straight weeks. Of getting a show out and... Very impressive. I'm going to end the streak there. Very impressive. Well, you're taking a little summer vacation. A little summer vacation. I want to get ahead on some of the... Uh, well, I have to wait for the uh, New Adventures of Superman DVDs to get here. And they're not getting ordered until the end of uh, next next week Next week when I get paid, so... Mm, right. And, you know, got some things going on over the summer, so I want to build up a bit of a... Running start before I come back with that. Come back with the new adventures. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. And this was a long run. This was a long, good run. Very enjoyable. And and um, I was glad I was able to join you for a bunch of these. This yeah, was, I am too. It's it's rare that I get the chance to talk in detail. You know, we're because uh, we've literally taken a bunch of these shows apart, scene by scene, right. together, and you did all of them by yourself. But but. Um, it's rare that I get a chance to talk in detail about this episode or that episode. And, uh, you know, uh, a little later when we do our little recap, just thinking about where we've been since episode 15, right. you're saying that's when we started these suckers. That's amazing. So that was back when we did Mole Men and uh, the intro. Was that on the first one? Did we do Mole Men first? Well, we did the intro. Well, we did them both in one night. That yes. was back at the time where we had the energy to do two episodes in one night. <laughs> right. right. That was like a, a six-hour marathon episode. It was amazing. Yeah. Well, but, actually, uh, yeah, you know what I found when we moved, when we went down to doing one episode? 
and I, mm. we just talked longer on the one episode. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think yeah. we saved ourselves any time recording. <laughs> Probably not. But it gave us more time to go into a little more detail about the uh, episodes we did cover and uh, some and, good memories, Sergeant and I, Hubba Hubba. And, and I will say <laughs> on some of the episodes we've done, we went into details that nobody ever needed to go into. <laughs> right. Right. We've uh, thought these things through more so than David Chandler, Whitney Ellsworth, than any of those people probably did. Yeah, exactly. So, but pretty amazing. It pretty was, amazing. It was a good and, uh, and fun run. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, got some emails, so somebody was listening. Yeah, well, <laughs> we know Dave McElvenny was listening. boy, Dave. Yeah. And uh, we've got some emails today from... Uh, from Dave McElvenny. We're going to read two emails from Dave. Normally I've been going one at a time, but uh, since this is the uh, last episode of The Adventures of Superman, we'll finish out what we've got. Okay. So the first email from Dave is on Man of Screen episode number 64, in which we talked about the Mysterious Cube and Divide and Conquer. Mm. So uh, Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Needless to say, but I'll say it anyway. This was <laughs> such a fun episode. It's always a delight to hear the back and forth between you and Bob Fisher, especially when you talk about episodes that you both enjoy. Certainly, the mysterious cube has some plot holes, but it's great, as you mentioned, to see Superman challenged more than usual here, both by the cube itself and by the cleverness of the bad guys. I had mentioned on Facebook that I didn't think that Superman moved through the wall by vibrating like the Flash, because Professor Lucerne didn't seem to present it in that way. It does seem more like the way he split himself in two and divide and conquer, sort of expanding his molecular structure so as to pass through the wall, but not so much as to split into two Supermen. This time, it didn't seem to weaken or pain Superman as much as that time in the South American Republic. <laughs> Superman really had trouble with that cube before getting advice from Professor Lucerne, though, didn't he? Even when he was trying to see through it with his x-ray vision, the close-up of his eyes showed him sweating with the strain. It really does raise the stakes when Superman can't just bust through a wall or knock the heads of the crooks together like he's mowing the, in the Three Stooges. I think you're right in claiming that the episode is based on a flawed premise in claiming that once Paul Barton is declared legally dead, the law couldn't touch him in any way. This reminds me of one of the students I taught who said to a teaching buddy of mine, I know the law, and the law says that the cops cannot shoot you until you're 18. Wouldn't, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't it have been hilarious if his brother Steve had sent dim-witted henchman Jody to court and Jody mixed up the paperwork and had him declared legally <laughs> Mike here. Jody probably would have mixed up the paperwork and had himself declared legally dead. <laughs> so back to Dave. No doubt the writers figured out that the kids who were the main audience at this point wouldn't think about this too carefully. In any event, allowing for this and other flaws, it was still a fun story and one of my favorites. And uh, the Atomic Captive was for me okay, but not as much fun. It certainly was interesting and it was surprisingly topical. Not just for its own Cold War time, but even for our present-day interest in Russian agents possibly interfering in American events. I don't think I noticed when I first saw this one that they so studiously avoided mentioning Russia at all. I remember even as a kid watching this one thinking, well, Superman better hope this guy can whistle that same note when he really needs to. <laughs> Maybe it would be better if Superman fashioned a whistle out of a handy piece of metal or wood just to be safe. And on the question about Jimmy Olsen's signal watch, his first appearance is in Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen number 1 in 1954. So it certainly existed in comic books from shortly after this TV show began airing. Right. In that comic, it was shown as something Jimmy simply had, but we didn't see Superman give it to him. I think the origin of the Signal Watch was shown in a later comic book story. But in any event, 
It certainly existed by the airing of this episode in 1958. Thanks for the listen. Live long and prosper. Dave McElvinny. And I want to say something about Jimmy Olsen's watch. Mm-hmm. I looked again right after we, we right after we recorded, and I found it. And yeah. I found the first appearance. In the Jimmy Olsen number well, one? Well, not in the comic, but I found someplace that listed its first appearance as Jimmy Olsen number one. Right. And I'm sitting there thinking, why the hell didn't I find it the first time? Right. So anyway, Dave has an addendum to his letter that he sent, oh, that he okay. sent later. And another thing. How exactly <laughs> did Paul Barton get inside that cube in the first place? Was it built around him? Was there a door that somehow sealed? Did someone build all but the last wall and then he went inside but the last wall was somehow put into place? Aren't there scenes along the edges where Superman or the guy with the blowtorch might have had an easier time getting through? I have questions. Questions I have. <laughs> but money? Eh, no money. No money. <laughs> and that's from Dave. <laughs> that's great. Now, you know, we're not supposed to ask too many questions. <laughs> you know, if they're reading Dave's addendum, I'm a little disappointed in us. That we didn't know. Yeah, we should have come up with that. We should have asked that question. <laughs> yeah. We asked every other question. You would think. <laughs> but yeah, I, that's funny because it, it has never dawned on me how he got in there. <laughs> that's pretty great. We broke down how he ate mm-hmm. and, all, and all that stuff. All of that, yeah. But yeah, that's just funny. It never dawned on us. Because that door was no door or hinges Nothing. or seams. I mean, How did to, he get in there? He had to burn his way out. Well, I did think one time when I was a kid, I think, or at some point watching it way back then, I was thinking, well, why didn't he just tunnel underground? Because Superboy and Superman in the comics used to do that all the time. They would, you know, dig tunnels, fly underground and burrow underground. And we saw Superman in the episodes before Dagger Island and several other episodes of Pirates and several of where he would save people by either burrowing underground or tunneling or something. Uh, And I was thinking, well, why didn't he go underground? Maybe they didn't think to build the floor, the bottom of the cube, the same material. Well, that would be so, that would be my no prize answer that they built it on a foundation of the same material. Right, and that's usually why well, what I come up with when even way back when when I thought uh, and, why and, didn't it go underground? Superman borrowing was not in the budget. Uh, not this late in the series, no. And uh, another question: if you want to get if you want to get totally ridiculous about this, how big is this cube, and what is it doing for local property values? <laughs> right. Yeah, it looked at least uh, 20 by 20. Right. Because they never showed us a bed inside, but a very comfortable chair and shelves and books and lamps and uh, lots of other things. Yeah. That was Dave's first letter. Well, good question, Dave. Yes. And we have no answers. <laughs> we have no answer, right. Well, Dave didn't really ask any questions except for his addendum. Yeah. Yeah. The show never broached that and... Uh... Like I said, I'm disappointed in us that we didn't uh, that we didn't ask that question. Yeah, and come up with the seams idea. It didn't dawn on me then either. No. Unless that material was kind of like concrete, and it was kind of lathed. Yeah, it was, it was lathed on to another structure. I don't know. Then there wouldn't be any seams. So that answers the seam problem. Right. If you lathe it on, it would just go around the corner. Those corners are pretty sharp, though. All right, so should we move on to Dave's next letter? Let's move on to the next one, yes. All right, Dave writes in on episode 66, in which we talked about the gentle, I think the gentle monster and, yeah, the gentle monster and Superman's wife. Mm, which, mm-hmm. by the way, we failed to uh, mention this when we covered Superman's wife. Maybe I should change that wording. When we covered <laughs> the episode called Superman's Wife, 
Yes. That was episode 100, by my count. Episode 100? Yeah. There were four. There were 104 episodes in the series. There were four more after it. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, that was the you're right. That was the 100th episode of the series. Of the series. Sergeant Hubba Hubba was on the 100th episode. I'm I'm totally sure that the producers paid no never mind to the fact that it, there was a 100th episode coming up. But for those of you who are interested in milestones, hmm, that's episode very 100. Interesting. Interesting. There is a picture somewhere online I've seen before of them celebrating the season starting, I think, the fifth, sixth, or seventh, fifth or sixth season. And they had, they're all around a cake. And uh, George is in the costume around a cake celebrating either the end or the beginning of the fifth or sixth season. That's out there somewhere. But as far as them celebrating the hundredth episode, they probably did not. I, they, I think that's a bigger deal today. Well, here, here's the thing, though, and um, you know, this, and this is uh, splitting hairs on in ridiculous fashion. Mm. How many episodes of the series did they make? Did they make 102, or did they, or did they make 104? Remember, well, two, two of them it, are two of them are mole men. Yeah, and I think that's the question. There is is how do you count the 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 two mole men episodes? Because mole men, the two episodes uh, called the unknown people parts one and two. Um, there were no new scenes. Nothing new was added to that. That was all editing. Right. It was, uh, there, was and no, there was subtraction. That was exactly right. They they took the Mole Men movie, cut out a few minutes of it here and there. Sped up the film. Sped up the film a little bit. But, um, you know, that that's an interesting thing. I think in my brain <clears> – <throat> If you're going to, you know, force me to say, I think there are 102 episodes plus the Mole Men. And because, um, you know, the right. end of season one, which was originally what they had planned was uh, to end up with Crime Wave. Yeah, exactly. There's even the little in the end credits, the uh, the fireworks. Right. Which kind of eh, we had our successful season. Right, exactly. And they weren't expected to ever come back. Mm-mm. No. So, um, yeah, I think that will go to personal opinion. Now, obviously, technically, they are included as um, two individual episodes for the total count. All right. Now, when you let's say you're watching season one mm-hmm. and you get to the end, mm-hmm. how do you watch that? Do you watch? The two episodes, or do you watch the uh, No, I don't. Movie? No, I don't. No, I don't. I watch the movie. Yeah, that's what I do, too. I haven't seen The Unknown People, well, since I got the DVDs. I think I watched it the first time when I first got the DVDs. I watched The Unknown People. But no, when I'm going to watch it, I'll usually watch The Mole Men first. Right. And then the first season up to Crime Wave. I'll, I'll do the opposite. I will uh, get to where they put The Unknown People. And then just watch more, and, and, and then I'll, especially because that's the, it's on the same disc, right? Done. I think the only time since I've owned that that disc that I've watched the unknown people mm-hmm. was when we covered Molman. I just wanted to see what the uh, mm, what the what, what the differences was. were, right? And a bunch of good stuff was missing. Yeah, I think there were some really nice little scenes missing from uh, the unknown people. And uh, I was lucky enough way back when I was a kid at about 12 or 13 that one of the local movie theaters did show the Mole Men in its entirety up on the big screen. So I I actually got to see it once. The rest of the day, they showed the Batman serial, not the Kirk Allen serial. So it was like a Batman day. So they were showing all the Batman serials. 
And uh, I left because it was snowing, but they were going to do, uh, I think, the Captain Marvel, but it might have switched over to Westerns. But I stayed for all the Batman stuff. But the day started with the Mole Men. It was like nine o'clock in the morning and uh, and then the Batman stuff. So very interesting. Very, very interesting. interesting. But we, I will say this, though. If we're going to say there are, there were 102 episodes of the show proper, mm-hmm. that would make the Brainy Burrow episode 100. Oh, well, then there's 104 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling you said something. Yeah. 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 Sorry. I... <clears throat> Mm. The Brainy Burrow cannot be a milestone episode. Yeah, it, it cannot be other than, well, I don't even go there. But it, yeah, not my favorite episode. A um, lot of stuff wrong with that episode, even though George, I think, uh, directed that one. I think I even think an effect went wrong in that episode. Uh, well, I'm not even remembering which effect, which one. Well, right after he rescues them from the fire. Yeah. Right as he flies away, there's a little fire off to the left on one of the plants. Oh. Superman says to them, put that out when I'm gone. <laughs> so I wonder if George Reeves was, that was George Reeves telling <laughs> Noel Neal and Jack Larson to put it out after yeah. he does his does his jump off, off the set. Yeah, that's pretty funny. That's, uh, see, it's been a while since I've even seen Brainy Burrow. The thing I remember about Brainy well, Burrow. Well, I, I had to suffer through it for I know, but the things that jump out at me from Brainy Burrow are the really bad special effect of the burrow hitting its foot to count and drawing the S when it's obviously some guy right. holding a prop or something. It's really bad. But uh, some people thought they were kind of cute. I thought it stood out a little too much when George was talking to the burrow. And then jerking the 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 burrow's head down, he had to get the response to make it say yes or no. I uh, believe I described that as George Reeves giving up all pretense of dignity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was uh, too bad, too bad. So we'll move on from Bernie Burrow. Well, last thing I'll say about that episode: when it gets Jimmy's age, I watched that a few times. I don't know how anybody got twenty two out of that, but that's mm. neither here nor there. Mm. Let's move on to Dave's letter. Okay. <sighs> Greetings, Mike. I know that as I write this, you've already completed recording the final episodes covering Season 6 of The Adventures of Superman, and it's a uh, strange feeling for you. I must offer my thanks and congratulations on your coverage. I've listened to every episode of the Man of Screen podcast from the Fleischer and the Famous Studio Shorts, the Kirk Allen serials, and the special and extra episodes. The uh, the special episodes were from before I created extra. I, I didn't want to be like the Hey Kids guys that just keep putting out specials. <laughs> right. You put out too many specials, they're not special anymore. Right. So back to Dave. And I thoroughly enjoyed all of them. But as I've mentioned in the, in the past, the Adventures of Superman TV show with George Reeves is very special to me. Since this was the first live-action Superman I ever saw. And you have done justice to that show. Superman himself will be happy with you, I think, since, as the introduction to the show reminds us, justice is one of his core values. Hmm. I'm looking forward to hearing your coverage of further incarnations of the Man of Steel in animation, live action, on TV, and in the movies. In your discussion with Bob of your plans for the future, you actually answered a question my wife had. As I was explaining to her a while back the concept of your show, I mentioned that after George Reeves' TV show, you'd eventually continue on to cover the Filmation cartoons, the Christopher Reeve movies, the Superboy TV series, Lois and Clark, etc. And, uh, and she asked if you would cover each series of TV shows completely before covering the movies, or would you cover things chronologically if there was some overlap? fitting a movie in between episodes of TV shows. I, I didn't know at that time, since you hadn't really discussed it yet, but now we have the answer. Mm. Thanks. <laughs> I'm going to stop Dave here for a minute, and I will mention that, the, especially in the 90s, 
there will be some overlap with television series mm-hmm. because Lois and Clark will overlap with uh, Superman the Animated Series. I will not overlap TV shows. Mm. Okay. I'm going to finish mm. Lois and Clark before I do the animated series. Mm-hmm. That's logical. That's yeah. that's better. Yeah. The movies would be different. Yeah, because you can just stick them in as a one-off and uh, right. go from there. Because Smallville and Superman Returns overlapped a little bit, didn't they? Yeah, they, uh, yeah there was a small – it was during the, one of the off-seasons of Smallville. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, if I had to put two different shows in one episode, I don't think my OCD brain would uh, know how to process that. God, what would I use the opening sequence? Which show's theme song would I use? Uh, just too many questions I'd have to answer, and right, I'd probably go into a seizure. <laughs> so well, we don't want that to happen. So no. keep those bad boys apart. I hope to get to finish this before I retire, but we'll see. So back to Dave. This is going to be a long email, and I haven't even mentioned the gentle monster or Superman's wife, so please feel free, if you read this on air, to edit it down for time considerations, which, of course, I am not going to. (laughs) (laughs) People tune in to hear you, not me, after all. Every feedback deserves its due. Agreed. Especially since Dave is the only one sending in feedback. That means you, people. (laughs) Gene Hendricks, I know you're listening. I'm not sure where Gene is yet in the show. I don't know if he's... If he's still catching up or if he's listening to new stuff when it comes out. Send some feedback. Anybody. I'll read it, I promise. So anyway, back to Dave. Crickets. The, <laughs> the Gentle Monster gives us Professor Pepperwinkle once again, and he doesn't disappoint. Any episode with him and Jimmy Olsen is bound to be fun. Mm-hmm. It must have inspired the many com- comic book stories involving Jimmy and Professor Potter with his zany inventions. You mentioned that Jimmy seems to almost have forgotten about Kryptonite as a likely reason for Superman's weakness near McDavish. I wonder if, because it was mentioned a few episodes back in The Magic Secret, that there had only been a few pieces of kryptonite on Earth, and those had been disposed of by Superman. Maybe Jimmy decided that, other than that kryptonite ray, which was also destroyed, there really was no danger to Superman from kryptonite anymore. Almost as if all the kryptonite on Earth had somehow been turned into, I don't know, oh, say, iron? (laughs) Superman's wife. Well, wow, Sergeant Hubba Hubba indeed. Mm -hmm. Sergeant Helen O'Hara is possibly related to Gotham's Chief O'Hara. No, Dave, I hope not. There's no way There's no way she could be that incompetent to be related to him. I don't think those guys did any police work in that entire series. They knew how to pick up a red phone. Yes, they did. Entries in this episode could pretty well jumpstart a lot of boys' puberty, I think, and with adult knowledge of future revelations, Jimmy's awkward proposal, if I were the marrying kind, would make milk shoot out of my nose, and I hadn't had any milk in decades. <laughs> At the time, it was a typical boy being embarrassed, but now, of course, knowing what we know about Jack Larson, that's a funny, funny line. It is. If I was the marrying type. Very funny. You and Bob are spot on in your discussion of the problems with the bathysphere trap and Superman's method of escape, but I agree with you that, at least by having danger in two different places at the same time and Superman having to work against the deadline, there really is a sense of anxiety conveyed. Although it could have been plotted a bit better, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Clearly, the writers knew what they were trying to do here, even if they didn't work out all the details perfectly. I do wish someone had been a little more sensitive to Lois's feelings, though. Writing the story of Superman's wedding must have been heartbreaking for her. Even hearing of it, presumably directly from Superman, must have been just awful for her. Thanks to you and Bob Fisher for another fun listen. Live long and prosper, Dave McCoy. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, Dave. The yeah, yeah, all- those are good, good, good episodes. Those are, you know, way at the top. Uh, my list in color episodes. They're fun. They they add the excitement and the suspense that the kids would be loving. And there was some stuff for us grups to like as well. Right. 
And I guess just, Dave, I would thank you to never uh, again suggest that Sergeant Hubba Hubba is in any way related to Chief O'Hara from the Batman <laughs> series. She deserves better. <laughs> uh, poor Chief O'Hara. Yeah. We love Chief O'Hara, but he was a lousy cop. Yeah. <sighs> so, thank you, Dave. And uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break, play a promo, and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit about uh, the end of the Adventures of Superman television series. And we'll talk a little bit about Hollywoodland. Hang around, folks. My name is Bob Fisher, and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it. From 1938 to the present day, from the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com Alright. Alright, welcome back, folks. That was a nice commercial break. That, that was, was a good promo. <laughs> I, I almost went right along saying, and now we go into, and there's no episode. <laughs> <laughs> no episode. And and there's no episode because season six, like we've mentioned before, was the last episode of The Adventures of Superman. Now, I don't know for sure what happened. If they initially said the show was canceled after season six. No, it was not. There there were scripts being written. Um but it was season seven was planned to return, even though by this point John Hamilton had, had died. died. Yeah, so there was some plans to replace John Hamilton. John Hamilton, I believe, I believe there was some time between the approval of season seven and the end of season six. Yes, John Hamilton had died in I want to say October of nineteen fifty-eight. I think he died even before all of season six had aired. Right, he died while he died while it was airing. Right. Yeah. Cause I because I think uh, season six ended sometime in January or February of 59. Right. No, I believe it ended in late April. Of okay. uh, 59? Yeah, 58. Oh, 58? Yeah. So it was off the air when Hamilton died and hadn't come back yeah, for yeah, season it, it, it was done. It was done at that point. He died in October, on October 15th, 1958 at the age of 71. So, wow. Wow. But the show was prepared to move on without it. Right. Because the producers of this show never did, didn't have any ideas for original casting. They had decided to go to uh, Pierre Watkin, mm-hmm. who played Perry in the Kirk Allen serials. And there is some, let's call it a debate over what exactly role he was going to play. If he was going to simply be Perry White or... If he was going to be Perry White's brother or something like that. It would have been great if they had made him George Taylor. That would have been great too, but... No, they weren't thinking. George Taylor like was long gone by that point. Yeah, by that point it was totally Perry White. It, it, I'll bet, typically, had it continued... Well, I don't know. Now that I think about it, I was going to say they would have just called him Perry and moved on with just a different actor playing Perry White. Right, but, that's what I think. But, um, I don't know, they may have said Perry was had taken up becoming the mayor or had gone somewhere else and this is the new boss. Right. So so they, they were prepared to move on with uh without John Hamilton. 
until June until June uh, I believe it was sixteenth, nineteen fifty nine. Yeah, I think it was. We're like close to that date. Yeah, it's yeah. about almost. Trying to do the math in my head, almost fifty eight years. <clears throat> yeah. Yep, June sixteenth, nineteen fifty nine. But that uh, that George Reeves died in at his home in Beverly Hills, Los Angeles, California. At right. this time, there were scripts done for season seven. Yes. He was scheduled to direct about five or six of them. Right. and Or, or maybe even more. And around this was the time where they were talking about a movie as well. Yes. Superman and the Secret Planet. Exactly. Which, if you go to uh, com, and I'll put a link in the show notes for this, as I did last week's episode as well. Randy Garrett, who I know blessed little about, he's a very good artist, and he draws a <laughs> very fine uh, Adventures of Superman cast. Now, I don't know if he got a hold of the script for Superman and the Secret Planet, or... Yeah, the script became available. The script is now online, and it's right there at com. actually. The script is there along with Randy Garrett's um, comic book of the script. So I would encourage anybody to check out that comic. It's... Uh... Very different from what you've come to see in the Adventures of Superman. You know, much more science fiction based. Mm-hmm. Yeah, had that happened, we would have seen Superman flying in space. We would have seen him hurt by uh, kryptonite and some other mysterious rays and metals. We would have seen other Kryptonians. Right. Um, Sergeant uh, O'Hara was would make a return. In fact, almost everybody who ever was in... Uh, the Adventures of Superman uh, make an appearance in the comic, so uh, it's it's definitely worth it's definitely it's definitely worth your time to check it out and read it. It's about yeah, it's fifty two no no not fifty two forty two JPEG images. Each one basically represents an entire comics page. It's it's worth a look and a read. Mm-hmm. It'll only take you maybe twenty minutes to read the whole thing. Yeah, it's a terrific read. So it's it's worth it. I will say this, though. It's quite strange, though, seeing the other Kryptonians calling the George Reeves Superman Kal-El. Because <laughs> right, because he was never called he, that. He was never called that. Anything Kryptonian, Kryptonian about him was, it just didn't come up into stories except when Kryptonite would show up. Right. So that was strange. I don't know if they were talking about any kind of casting or if Randy Garrett cast the comic himself. That's a good question. I hadn't thought of that. But I, I think uh, I think Randy Garrett did some of the casting himself in the comic. Right. He draws in uh, Tristram Coffin, I believe his name is, from the case of the talkative dummy as uh, Zonar, the uh, head Kryptonian. Leonard, Mo- Leonard Moody, who we've seen a few times. He was the great Brockhurst in uh, The Ghost of Scotland Yard. He's drawn in there. Richard Reeves, I believe, is drawn in there as kind of one of a... Yeah, one of the big henchmen. One of the big henchmen. No Ben Weldon, though, which is upsetting to me. Yes, that was a little disappointing as well. No Louis Lyman or Louis Lemon or whatever else he called himself. Right, because, you know, I I wonder, was Sergeant O'Hara really in the script? I'd have to look. Or is that something a Liberty Randy Garrett took? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, this show uh, never never called back to anything at any point. Hardly. Except right. Panic in the Sky on occasion. Right. So it would seem weird that they would bring back Joy Lansing just for that. But I was glad. I liked the what he did with the comic. And yeah, seeing too. all those familiar faces kind of even added the fact that it's, um, you know, a comic about that show. Right. Because the show would bring back the, 
the actors to play different parts over right. and over and over again, more so than any of the actors came and played the same part. Right. Uh, we've talked about it as it happened. Sterling Holloway, uh, and it was Professor, Professor Pepperwinkle, Professor... I, 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 was, I don't think Sterling Holloway was in there. He was not. I don't remember him in the comic either. But I, I will uh, say this, in that they had that one scene where they had the meeting of all the professors. Yes. You know, they had Professor Roberts from the observatory, the uh, the guy from Haiti. What is Professor Pepperwinkle doing there? What, aside from, <laughs> what does he possibly have to add to this? <laughs> what? How is uh, the, the local crackpot going to contribute to this situation? Yeah. And they could have put Sterling Holloway in that scene, too. But the great you thing know? was, Pepperwinkle did not speak at all. He had no lines. No, no he was just him, there. They just drew him looking befuddled, which is right. perfect. But it would be funny if he was the one that came up with the solution to whatever the problem was. That would well, have been they really, funny. They really didn't come up with anything. No, no, they didn't. They said, nope, we can't do anything. Right. There was really no reason for them to be there other than for Randy Garrett to want to draw the five scientists that showed up over the course of the, uh... Right. I mean, he, the, uh, Dr. He drew, even bring around in Dr. Girardi from Drums of Death from season one. That's about as deep cut as they go. Yeah. Yeah. But I think Randy Garrett did some of that. and It might make me think yeah. even more that he did the casting in his own comic book. Right. Because um, several of the Kryptonians were, you know, thugs or bosses or whatever that we had seen play other scenes and other characters in the show. So, uh, yeah, I think Randy Garrett did a lot of that himself. Yeah. But, either, but either either way, I encourage you to check it out. It's a great love letter to the TV show. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it also, uh, John Eldridge was in there. Mm -hmm. he, Which he should be. But not as a villain, though. No, is he wearing a tulip? No, he was the governor. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's Go right. Governor Eldridge. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. But the nice thing about being able to recognize the actors in the roles was I was able to read it in uh, the voices of those actors. Oh, right. You could hear their voices right. Yeah, it's a very familiar. When you do look at this comic, you will feel like it's familiar to right. you. And it's good pacing and the characters' voices. I mean, right from the opening panel of George Reeves coming in and putting his hat on the dummy's head and saying, right. hello, Sam. Which I believe he only did once. Which he only did once. And by the way, that was the name of his dog. Right. So, yeah, <clears throat> I was going to point that out. Yeah. Beat you to yeah. it. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he also added on an ending. I don't know where the script ended. I should have read, looked for the script and read that, but it seems like it was a nice ending where Superman is flying the president back to Washington. Mm -hmm. And then he just kind of adds on this uh, return to Metropolis and parade in which uh, Superman uh, finally convinces Lois that he's not Clark Kent right. by splitting into two people and they appear together. Worth the effort. It is definitely, it is definitely worth the 20 minutes of your time. Absolutely. So check that out. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So, But then, like I said, June 16th, 1959. A day I remember very yes. clearly. I was just about to ask you. Yeah, I do remember. How did this. you find I, out that George Reeves? The radio. The radio. Uh, it, was, it was the radio. It was summer. I was seven. And uh, there was we were having, you know, a typical summer. My mother and father out in the backyard, probably grilling or something. And I had the radio on in my room. I had a little crystal radio set that I thought was so cool because my father had climbed up a pole in the backyard or in the back 
of the house and uh, helped me wire the thing. And I would listen to some baseball games on it. It was very cool, a little tiny headset or something. So I'm moving this little dial around and I pick up a news thing and it said that Superman had shot himself. And it didn't make sense. It really didn't click at first. And I'm thinking, I, I remember the very clear. I thought, I don't get that. What do you mean Superman shot? I don't get it. Right. And I listened and then uh, it came across and I remember running out the back door of our utility room. We had the kitchen would go down four or five steps to a little utility room and then a screen door. Uh, the regular big back door was open and it was just a screen door. It was summer. And I remember running out there and uh, pushing that door open and it slammed real hard and uh, I just remember yelling to my mother and father, Superman's dead, Superman's dead. And they didn't know what I was talking about. And I told them I just heard on the radio that Superman was dead. Then they showed me the paper that we had gotten that morning and uh, said, yeah, they knew. And uh, kept that newspaper around for a long time. I don't know whatever really happened. I guess my mom threw it out with my baseball cards eventually. Right. But uh, I had that newspaper from that day the morning in Richmond in those days, we had uh, the Times-Dispatch in the morning and the News Leader in the afternoon. And it was in the morning paper, that Saturday morning paper. And, uh, yeah, I, it was, you know, it was kind of my first, you know, of somebody that I thought I really knew right. uh, had died. And I thought that, you know, we we're going to talk a little bit about Hollywood, Lynn. Right. And I thought some of the scenes that they showed of the kids' responses – Right. Uh, was was right on. I mean, right. was just absolutely right on. I was devastated for weeks, and it and I was still having a hard time putting it together in my head because that afternoon there he was, he was on TV, but right. they're telling me he's dead and that he shot himself. It didn't sink in for a long time, actually. So very sad. It was one of the earliest sad, sad memories that that I have. I assume you did not go to some of the lengths that. Uh... I believe the kid's name was, I think he called the kid Scout. Uh, no, I did not. Like you, you didn't burn a Superman playsuit oh, on the couch, oh, I hope. Oh, no, not at all. All of my Superman stuff became even more precious after that. I didn't get, in, I didn't get into the anger, because uh, I don't remember the details. You know, in the movie, right. they mentioned that he shot himself with a Luger, and that kid was upset because apparently Superman shot himself with a Nazi gun. Right. So that added another layer. And I don't remember that at all as a kid, that part of it at all. Right. Um, you know, just uh, my mother trying to explain, like other ones, he's an actor. He was a normal man playing a part. Right. And in my head, I knew that. I mean, you know, I was seven. It wasn't like I was three and just believe. I knew what I'm looking at on TV was fake. It was, you know, a show. He was an actor. Right. Uh, just like I Love Lucy. I had seen him on I Love Lucy. I had, you know, it's an actor playing a part. And I knew that. But I still couldn't quite wrap my head around the fact that he was gone, that it was over, right. that it was real. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a very, uh, very emotional, sad summer. And it's weird because 59 is one of my favorite years. A lot of good things happened to me later that year. Right. But uh that summer was a very sad summer. Right. And after, did they continue to show the show on TV? After oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but it did go off the air for a, uh, a while, but right. came back, I think, two years. I think it came back in early 61, maybe 62 in reruns. Right. And then it was every afternoon. 
Right. So from basically the time I guess I was eight or nine until I was a teenager, it was on Channel 12 WRVA-TV, 4.30 in the afternoon, every afternoon, Monday through Friday. And my butt, more days than not, uh, was sitting in front of that little black and white TV uh, watching those reruns. Now, one scene in Hollywood that I want to ask you about yeah. is that one scene where they show the show on TV and all the kids are running into the house because it's time. Yes. Was that you? Oh, Were absolutely. You absolutely. Absolutely. I had standing orders, and I say orders to my mother, and I was serious when I told her. Uh, in the neighborhood I lived in, you know, we were a bunch of guys. We were all hanging in. You have your little group of guys. Right. And there were some girls, too. But it was a bunch of us, six, eight of us or whatever. But uh, my mother had standing orders. Five to ten minutes before that show came on, you stick your head out the yard and you call me. You let me know. And sure enough, every afternoon, my mother would stick her head out and yell, uh, Bobby, I told her to stop saying Superman was on. <laughs> uh, just have to call me to come home because right. she would be yelling to the whole neighborhood, uh, Bobby, time for Superman. And, of course, I'd go running home. I was exactly like in that uh, in Hollywood land, running in, and it didn't matter. if My sisters were watching. It didn't matter. Right. Everything stopped. And I would turn the channel. Usually didn't have to because I, it was uh, uh, at 4 p.m. Sailor Bob, who was a local guy who wore a little sailor outfit and did drawings and stuff and would show Popeye. It would show Fleischer cartoons. So he would show Popeye and sometimes right. he would show the Superman Fleischer cartoons on the Popeye show. And um, it came on the same channel. So at 4 o'clock it was Sailor Bob with Popeye and at 4.30 – went right into Superman. So uh, more times than not, I was pretty much there at four o'clock to watch right. that whole hour of Popeye and Fleischer cartoons and then followed by The Adventures of Superman. So the entire neighborhood didn't run in at the, at the time of the show, like in the movie? Well, it, it was, you know, a lot of the guys wouldn't say they would, but several of them would come with me and right. others would go home. And I still have a feeling when they got home, they would be watching it too because we would be talking about it. And probably until I was second grade anyway, um, you know, we, we played Superman. And uh, we would use Play-Doh. Uh, clay would come in little square, not squares, but like, um, I want to say cubes. What do you call a rectangular cube that's long and, you know. Uh, uh, a rectangular cube. Uh, but, you know, on the show. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, the kryptonite that they used on the show was just like that, a, a rectangular right. cube thing, right? And uh, we had a piece of uh, green clay that had hardened, that I left out and made hard. And that was our kryptonite. And whenever my sister wanted me to shut up or go away, she would pull that out <laughs> as if, and I always played along. I was, you know, I would always, ouch, Superman, you know, I'm, I'm Superman and you've got the kryptonite, you win. But uh, yeah, we played that probably until we were eight, nine, maybe. Right. Yeah. When I was of a similar age, my mother had similar orders. It wasn't with Superman, obviously, because that was really on, on Saturdays a lot. Mm, at mm -hmm. night. She had uh, about 4 o'clock similar orders to call me home when it was time for uh, He-Man and Thundercats. Mm, okay. So Superman was on, the, the, when I was a kid growing up in Brooklyn, the uh, station that showed Superman showed it uh, Saturdays around noonish in an hour block. And then eventually it went to 
we started finding it on Nick at Night and was on at uh, 8 o'clock. Well, that's where I discovered a whole bunch of other classic TV. That's where I discovered Get Smart mm, mm-hmm. and pretty much Get Smart and F Troop. Funny shows. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, very, very, um, very memorable time. I will say this about Hollywood Land. It is, if you're looking for a biopic on George Reeves, this is not it. Yeah, it's not it. This is a, and I want people to understand that, this is a fictionalized portrayal of uh, what may have happened right. during the last weeks of, of uh, George Reeves' life. And it doesn't, fo- it doesn't give any kind of, recognition to many of the good things George Reeves had done. No, this is a, it's a pretty down, it's a pretty sad, um, you know, two hours, actually. Right. It's it's a pretty sad two hours. And the movie is basically about the detective, uh, Louis Simo, who's a fictional character and his relationship with his son, but the uh, George Reeves stuff kind of sparkled throughout in... Almost seemed like random places at times. Yeah, it was it was an interesting pacing and editing job to it. And I think one of the things that disappointed me a little bit, Ben Affleck actually did a pretty decent George Reeves. There are certain right. scenes where he is just spot on. But then there's some scenes of him in the costume, and George never looked that bad. He never – it's almost like they tried to accentuate the, the rubber uh, yeah. undersuit to where he looked fat and you know George even in the later years was starting to gain weight and you could see that his chin was starting to fall and right. you know uh, you know a man of his age at that time period who was a fairly heavy drinker right. was starting to catch up to him but he never looked as bad as they portrayed him in Hollywood land uh, at least not on on the show itself now the one thing I wish they did in the George Reeves stuff is kind of put a date on it because some of the things that happened, I kind of wonder where in the timeline they were. Yeah, because they were because moving around a lot. They were, and they tackled some of the so-called legends, which mm-hmm. are disputed. Right. Like, there's one scene where he says, we're canceled. You see him burning one of the Superman costumes in his grill. Yeah, I've, I've not found proof of that anywhere, that right. he ever burned any of the Superman costumes. For a long time, there were rumors that I used to believe that at the end of each season, he right. would cut the S off of the front and the cape and give those to kids in hospitals or whatever. I have uh, since heard from Jim Nolte and a few others who, you know, study this thing seriously, that that never happened, right. that there were uh, a couple of kids. I think Whitney Ellsworth's son may have gotten one or something like that of a costumes that they were getting rid of. It's also hard to believe that they would give up a suit at the end of the season. But they didn't. That was the point. The only reason they changed in the color years was to to see if they could get a better-looking blue contrast. And you'd have to imagine those suits do wear out over time. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, so he may have done it once or twice, given away the S or two. But it was not a regular thing. And I found no proof anywhere that he actually – celebrated getting canceled by burning one of the costumes. Right. So, uh, And in that scene, he, like I said, this is one of the points where I'm wondering where in the timeline this is. It almost seems like this is after season six. Right. Because it, it was almost a full two years before they got their renewal, so. Exactly. Possible they were, it is, they were initially told they weren't coming back and they were optioned later. 
there's really no way for us to know. And we are not uh, we are not historians. Right. And there are things in Hollywood land that look like uh, they took place in the very first season. But then shortly he's wearing the red and blue. Well, after there's a scene where he talks about how where his agent or whoever that guy is, Weissman, his manager. Right. I believe from what I read in the some of the notes is that those were actually two people and they were combined into one. Yes. For the film. Yeah. Where he says that they're gonna come back with another season and that they want to shoot in color. And he says that all in kinda of in one breath, which makes you think that season two was in color. Exactly. When season one is actually in black and white and season one was thirteen episodes. And right. season two was thirteen Season two was another 26 episodes. The movie implies that was in color. Right. And. And it was not. And it was not. That was another 26 episodes in black and white. They didn't go color until season three with. And that was down to cut down to 13 episodes. Exactly. So the show does is not always on board with the facts. And the movie does kind of go out of its way to blame Superman for stalling George Reeves' career. Right. When everything I've read shows that it was really the war that derailed his career. Yeah, it was the war and the fact that when he came back from the war, the person at the studio was in charge who liked George and had and was going to get him major deals and leading men roles died. So right. George didn't have his in guy at the theater any at the studio anymore. And was kind of starting over, and the guy who took over was not a big fan of George Reeves. Right. And um, kept going back to the fact that George, oh, you mean Soupy Man? You know, they didn't like him, and who knows what the reason there could have been. Got to remember, too, there's at least six or so years between the end of the war and exactly. the, start, the start of Superman. So his career was kind of floundering. Exactly. And he was doing quite before. a bit. Of, exactly. And he was also doing quite a bit of B material. So he was doing some leading man work in some war movies and some um, serials. He even mentioned the serials. Right. And he wasn't talking about Superman. So he was doing other things but couldn't get that big break and um the other thing that they that they emphasize in this movie that uh i have come to find out uh, i always believed and then seeing it at hollywood land but i have since found out that it's not true at all there's no truth zero truth to it that his parts in from here to eternity were cut because of uh when they played it for the test audience a bunch of people started, like we see in Hollywoodland, everybody's saying, making jokes about Superman, locomotive, and bullets. Well, and uh, That did didn't that, happen. Did that happen? No, that did not happen. That did not but happen. I, I did read, you know, I don't know if that happened, but I do know I've read that the director and writer basically say the part George Reeves plays in Here From Here to Eternity was the, always the part he was going to It was play. always the part. They didn't cut anything from, they didn't cut any of his stuff in that movie. See, I had heard that his part was much bigger and he was the best right. friend. So for those of you who think he was the lead or something, that's just not the truth. It's the just not he the truth. was. He, he was not at all. He was the best friend, but he was there to move the dialogue and the plot along at a certain point in the movie. He His part was never cut from that, and I've looked in great detail over the last few years trying to find that, and I, all I have found is nothing. There is no one, and the people who seem to know show the script. There's a script out there, and it's got George's part in it, and there are no cut scenes 
that uh, show up in the script and uh, from to the final movie. So what you see, if you were to go and get the DVD or rent, however you can find from here to eternity now, if I you were to, if you, it's a good movie actually. I haven't seen it in probably twenty years, but uh, I remember at the time watching it. Now I, you know, watched, couldn't watch it as a kid because it was kind of an adult movie. Right. You know, there's a, a very famous uh, love scene uh, on the beach in that movie, and it was so risque for the time. Uh, you know, with water and the sound effects and all this stuff. But as a kid, I was, it would show it sometimes on late night TV. And when I heard that it was on, I couldn't wait to stay up late because I knew I was going to see Superman in it. Right. And uh, I remember those parts. I remember what he said. I could almost do, you know, George's dialogue, which they showed in the movie and reshot with Affleck doing it, which I also thought was kind of interesting that they reshot and sound and read they redid the opening well from what i read and you could find this is on imdb is that warner brothers did would would not get, didn't allow them to use the actual openings of the show mm -hmm. so they went ahead and reshot it with a different voiceover and right. affleck in the uh in the suit yet yet they allowed and they wouldn't allow any use of the s shield in promotions yet they allowed them to use it in the movie in the movie yeah and Which it was the correct S shield too. Yeah, it was accurate to the S shield of the time. Right. That he that George Reeves wore. It I will say this about the costumes that we saw Ben Affleck wear in two instances when he tries on the gray suit, yeah. the black and white and the color suit. It's accurate to the suit he wore at the time. Yeah, yeah, the suit's accurate. My only complaint is when they were showing the scenes uh and in fact the scene where uh he was on the wire and the wire broke. He's in. It looks to me like he's in a color suit, but it was that happened in like Ghost Wolf or something. It was no, one of the no, first he, movies. No, he was in a black. He was in a black and white suit. Was he? Okay, but it didn't happen in an alley scene, did it? No, it didn't happen in an alley. It scene. happened in. The, it happened in the woods. Yeah, and um, so they they made a little change there, and no idea if they the even way, knew they were. Well, well, they were clearly not allowed to use any elements of. The Adventures of Superman. Right. And I guess we're going to talk about this particular scene now where uh, with Phyllis, where the only time we see Phyllis coach Jack, Lar Jack Larson and John Hamilton as they're portrayed in the film. Right. And we see George acting a little inappropriately on inappropriately on the set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would not fly today at all. No. And um, the way they portrayed it in the TV show, uh, basically Jimmy or Jack Larson flubs a line, forgets his line right. and to kind of break the tension a little bit because it, it, maybe it had happened a couple of times previous. We don't really know why, but we're getting the feeling that people were getting a little annoyed and there's some tensions going and to break the mood, break the tension, add a little levity. Uh, according to this scene, George drops his pants and is a little inappropriate with Phyllis right. on Perry's desk. I don't know that that ever happened. I had never heard of that or seen it anywhere than in this movie. Right. So I don't know that that happened. And obviously we can't ask Jack now. Uh, Phyllis is still alive, but uh, more or less a recluse. I do, from what I recall, Phyllis was not very happy with this movie. Yeah, that's what I had heard too back in the day, that she was not happy with it. And they don't portray her in a particularly good light either. Um well, they they just kind of portray her as being in on the joke and uh, right. 
And we get that scene afterwards where Tony says to George that uh, as far as he's concerned, Phyllis is a lesbian. Right. Right. From this point. Yeah. As far as you're concerned, she is because he thought she was serious. Really? Right. I didn't know that. Is she real? And uh, Tony Mannix says, well, as far as you're concerned, uh, which, she is. Which doesn't seem to jive with what happened in real life. No. Because from what I've read is that after George died, Tony Mannix called Phyllis Coates. Yes. Now, I have I have no idea what the relationship was between George and Phyllis Coates. I mean, they don't, you know, they liked each other or... Right. You know, if they were friendly at all in any right. way, shape, or form. You know, that's the only time you see any of the actual cast of The Adventures of Superman portrayed. Yeah, and it's it's a little hard to know. And, of course, only Phyllis would know. But, right. you know, there are rumors that she and Noel didn't get along after Noel replaced her in the part. And, um, you know, that there were, there was a lot of friction there. But, again, it's it's mostly rumor. I don't know that Phyllis has ever gone on record bad-mouthing anybody in not, that, in that not, show. Not that I know of. Yeah, I've never seen her say anything negative about George or Jack or any of the, any of the other actors. So um, Now, this movie shows a lot of George dumping on the Superman role. Exactly. It shows very few of the good things George has done. Mm-hmm. You know, in seeing everything that we saw, I really wish they'd filmed a scene of when George stuck up for Noel. Yes. You know, that scene would have added a little something else to, to, to the movie. Yes. They would have had to hire another actress, though. That would have been two Lois Lanes they would have had to have shot in one show. But they should have done it anyway. I also would have liked to have seen them. There was one scene particular that I thought, well, there are a couple, but one that I thought was really great. When uh, George was at a, a, a little restaurant. Right. With his manager and probably Tony Mann. I forgot who the woman was with him at I think the time. It was Tony. She told him that this kid's there. Put yeah, out the cigarette. Put the Superman cigarette out. Smoke. Well, he goes into the bathroom, and when he's coming out, he, he puts the cigarette. He looks at himself in the mirror. And I'm thinking in his own mind, he's looking and thinking, yeah, you know, you're probably right. Superman shouldn't smoke. Right. Puts the cigarette out, and then he tells them at the table, I'll be right back goes to the window, waves at the kids, and then does a quick little Superman pose as the kids cheer. Well, he did a lot of that personal appearance. And I would have liked to have seen them do one more personal appearance. The only other personal appearance they show, they make him look bad again, like he's getting drunk behind the scenes in the costume, making a, a kind of a joke about the briefs. Before going out and doing a bad acting job with some cowboys, before getting to a very, uh, very good scene about a little kid showing up with a real gun, which, again, that's also rumor that it did happen, that a kid did show up one day with a real gun and they were able to take it away from him. And from that point on, George never showed up in costume. He showed up. I think that scene was was pretty accurate in the fact that. Everything I've read indicates George is the one who talked the kid down. Is talked the kid down, exactly. And But the, from that point and on... And did it without breaking character. Yes. Hey, Superman. Well, hello there, young man. What's your name? Kenneth Giles. Can I shoot you? Kenneth, why would you want to do something like that? So the bullet bounces off, can I? Well, 
if you did shoot me and the bullet bounced off, it might accidentally hit someone else. We don't want that to happen, do we? No. Well, why don't you just, you and I, here we go, partner. Why don't you just give me that, just hand me that for one minute. And from that point on, decided never to wear the costume at any of those public events again. So, uh, you know, that I think was done really, really well. Right. And that's the the weird thing about this particular film, Hollywoodland. There are some things in it that are done so well. And then other things that you just think, nah, it didn't happen. It couldn't have happened. That didn't right. happen. And uh, I guess, you know, when it's a fictional, a piece of fiction to get a point across, they're going to take certain liberties and time frame and, and things like that. But I think overall to kind of finish on Hollywoodland a little bit, the thing that I am glad, and we talked about this before we went on, is that they didn't come to really any conclusions in the show itself. They gave you, the viewer, the three major possibilities that people have conjectured over uh the thought and and talk about these the, that that uh both of them being drunk having right. a fight he tries to get the well, gun away clarify before that is that uh for mm -hmm. a long time uh george was seeing tony mannix who was married to what the mgm head yes was, well, I forgot what his first name was. Eddie Mannix, I believe. Eddie Mannix. Eddie Mannix. So yeah. they, they they had uh, they clearly had some an open marriage, right? And uh, so George was with her for a long time. She bought him his house, and then uh, George, I guess he meets uh, Lenore Lyman in New York. I guess right when he took a couple of weeks break, went to New York, and she's basically she's basically a gold digger, basically. So uh, George, George Superman, the guy who played Superman, figured he was loaded. Mm -hmm. He wasn't. <laughs> You know, so mm -mm. one of the popular theories is that she eventually realized this and uh, they had an argument and his death was an accidental shooting. Right. That's the kind of the first one in the movie they show. Yeah, that's the first thing. The first show. possible that could have happened. Goddamn miserable son of a bitch. Right. Don't you walk away from me. Shut up. I hauled myself out to this shithole burg for you. And you have the balls to tell me it's off? God damn it. Listen. What are you doing? What the? I'm the fucking man in this room. You're a fool. You suck it, right? Man, you have been. You give it to me. God damn it. Oh. Uh, heavily drinking, both of them at a party at the house. And uh, he goes upstairs. She pulls the gun out and starts shooting it, thus the two holes in the floor. Right. He tries to take the gun away from her. And during that action of taking the gun away from her, it goes off and shoots him in the head. Right. Which could, you know, could there could be. And the fact that there was a 45-minute delay before them contacting the police right. gave her time to go downstairs, get help, and get him off the floor and put him on the bed, which right. answers the question why was the shell and the blood under him instead of right other place so that brings up questions and because the police did such a lousy job and the forensics and they pretty much closed it and hushed it away as quickly as possible right. that's why all three of these possible answers could be true right the second of which is that because when george meets lenore lyman lenore lemon lemon right lemon? lenore lemon Yes. Louis Lyman, Lenore Lyman. Right. <laughs> LL. Yeah, exactly. He leaves Tony for her. Right. And because he hurt 
his wife. The second scenario is that basically Eddie Mannix had him, had George whacked. Had him whacked, right. Because there was a few, I don't know if it was a few weeks or a few months, George was involved in a car accident. Some kind of yes. issue with his brakes. And I believe there's a cop who said somebody's trying to, somebody's trying to kill this guy. Right. Which, which generates all, which helped generate all kinds of conspiracy theories. Exactly. So, and, and after and, that accident, he was on some pretty heavy pain medication and, at the time, and, too. And he, and he was drinking at the time, too. Yeah, yeah. So there is... So, so that's two. That's two. And the third is what was officially ruled is that he killed himself. As suicide, right. Um, which is what Jack Larson believes. Jack believes he was depressed, he was despondent, he was drunk. And um, because of something that happened at the party, right. possibly someone making fun of him or something that hit close to a nerve, right. he just went upstairs and in a, you know, a drunken depression and pain pills right. um, shot himself. And but how, three, However, however yeah. Jack's reasoning for why George – speculation for why George may have done it is different from what everybody else believes, mm-hmm. is that he was you know, depressed over being pigeonholed as Superman. Right. And maybe that was a part of it, but from what I've read from what I've read, Jack's reasoning is that George was more depressed because basically he screwed up his personal life. Yes. I, I think at this point he realized he was uh, he decided he wasn't gonna marry this woman. And that could have been what the argument was about. I believe that's what it was about yes, in the movie. I agree. I agree. So, I think that's what the argument was about. That's what so Jack believed that he was depressed because he kind of screwed that all up. Mm-hmm. And the movie does make a big deal of her going back for the four thousand dollars worth of traveler's checks, right? Which I believe is something she actually did and used them to kind of go away. Uh, yeah, yeah, that is a point of record, as they say. Right. But you know, uh, the three of those possible explanations. I think the first one and the last one. I don't think Eddie Mannix would have hired a hitman to to uh, shoot George. I, I, that doesn't seem logical to me. Because of the relationship historically that he had with his wife, I just don't think that would have... would have That one is the one that I am least... Right. You know, uh, in like. favor of. Yeah, least likely in my mind. I think the first one is very possible. And I'm not sure a professional hitman would have been that sloppy. No, he would not have been. Because well, the movie points to... Uh... What was that? I believe uh, the suicide of uh, a previous wife of Eddie Mannix. Yes. That, uh, which he kind of uses kind of his basis for believing that Mannix did it. And in the movie, Mannix never admits it. I don't believe he actually ever calls George Reeves by his actual name either. No. Always that actor. That actor. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, it's very possible, you know, I mean, but George was in, in a situation that was, um, you know, not a very good one for no. someone, uh, uh, you know, personally living in a house bought by the wife of one of the most powerful studio moguls at the time. Not a good situation to be in. But that even makes me even more convinced that Eddie Maddox had so many other weapons at his disposal. Right. He could have ruined George. He could have split, you know. Well, it kind of shows it kind of shows that the, the relationship with Tony Maddox did nothing for George professionally. Yeah, exactly. Did nothing for him professionally. I, and I think he always, the movie seems to indicate that he hoped that it would at some point. Right. And he would ask her once in a while, can't you get me? Uh... Yeah. And, you know, in their big fight scene in the movie, 
you know, he admits that, you know, you never did anything for me. Right. You could have, one word could have done this or that. And according to the movie, she was happy to keep him as her kept man. Right. You're saying this, why? I want to be honest with you. My, that's noble. What is that, from some script you auditioned for in the 40s? No, it's just me talking to you. I'm so grateful. Straight arrow, George. You, you go to New York and you fuck some whore and you run back to tell me. She's not a whore. Oh, but she's an actress. A singer. Does she blow smoke rings with a cunt? Is it a fling you want? It's not a fling. Oh, you're in love. Two weeks in a hotel room. She makes me feel young. Have you seen yourself, George? Your face is going. Don't do this. Here, Stop your it. eyes, your hair, your stomach. You think no one notices? Tony, don't do this. But you've got your projects, haven't you? You're going to be a director. You'll sit in your little canvas chair, polishing your balls. Thank God I'm rid of that hag I had to screw. What was her name? The one who paid for everything? The one who bought me a fucking house? For God's sake. You want publicity? You'll get it. I'll say you're a red. A faggot. A lush. Nobody can call that a lie. You know what? You never helped me. You never helped me. You could have talked to Eddie. You could have gotten me something, but you didn't. Because you liked me when I was in a fucking red suit. You liked that. Well, that's not who I am. You understand? God damn you. But, George, that's all you were good for. Ten-year-olds and shut-ins. That was the best you were ever going to be. I knew that. Why didn't you? The beautiful boy, because she was older. Right. He was her beautiful boy. And it was kind of a creepy relationship anyway. Right. And what I've read about the phone call to Phyllis Coates that I mentioned earlier, she didn't call and say, George is dead. Mm. The boy is dead. The boy is dead. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's they didn't show that in Hollywood land. No, but, but she did refer to him as the boy. The boy. In the movie. That's what, yeah, exactly. So, there, you know, there's still a lot. But I'm going to go either with, you know, I can see both right. a, a possible, you know, an argument that got out of hand because of the heavy drinking and the drugs and or – for the same reason, the heavy drinking, the depression, yeah, the, the heavy drugs. drinking and the drugs can do strange things to the mind. Exactly. And have and you exactly. can do things under those circumstances that you would never do. Exactly. If you're a little more lucid or sober. Right. So uh, I like to think it was an accident, but it will always be up for debate. The official word is that he committed suicide, and that's what's on record. Right. You know, in the movie, there was one other thing that I think we talked about before we went on. In the in the movie. Hollywood land. In a lot of these scenes uh, with the fictional detective, you know, they they showed a lot of other newspaper people always around. It was his thing to get them to shoot pictures and do the headlines. So even the night of the death, with the body still on the bed, we see reporters and cops and people walking around and people taking pictures. Where are those pictures? Did those pictures, are those pictures... Real? Did the ME, did the medical examiner ever take real pictures of George at the time uh, in the room? Uh, And do these newspapers have archives somewhere with these pictures? Exactly. That's the question I would. And I'm sure that somebody knows the answers to that uh, out there. But but, because I have never seen those. The only thing I've even seen close to that is the death mask, where apparently someone in the, they did do a plaster of his face. But I don't know that that was a death mask or a life mask. 
and you can buy copies of it. I've seen other copies made, and they're around. I think somebody, I even saw it today, somebody bought one at, in Metropolis this week. Right. So. so the last thing I want to mention about this movie, what did you think of the way his mother was portrayed? That's a good question because I don't know. I, I You know, it, it wow, at she, the end there. She doesn't come off very well in the movie. No, she doesn't. She does not come off well at all. So it's uh, hard for me to judge that. Um, she does not some, come across well. But I found some corroboration in some other place that she did indeed hide uh, what happened to George's stepfather from him. Yes, that's true that she did tell him that he was dead. So and she never believed that he killed himself. She never believed that. Uh, but I also heard somewhere, and I'm from what I read, she did try to petition for a second autopsy or something yeah instead in the movie she hired the pi so yeah she wanted more she wanted more answers than she ultimately got but i had also heard that she really had not actually spoken to him in uh in over years. yeah and that's said in the movie yeah so um lenora lemon think, says that he she didn't talk he didn't talk to her in 15 years since he found out that uh his stepfather was actually alive Right, because his stepdad showed up one time, right, and uh, uh, so it kind of caused hard relations with, with his mom, you know. But uh, other things that I've read, she worshipped him; she was his right. boy, and uh, so it's hard to tell in in these kind of situations. And and uh, I wish there would be something. I would love to see something more. I know that what was that show? I think Dean Cain used to host it. Oh, uh, Ripley's Believe It or Ripley's Not. Ripley's Believe It or Not, I think, did an episode looking into this. I but, believe Unsolved Mysteries did as well. Right. It might have just been Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, the other one may not have. It might yeah. have been Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries. And, uh, but they didn't I've come to any episode. conclusions either, and they went well, way over the top with it too. So it, it's really hard to tell. I don't think I've got anything else on it, you know. Yeah, me neither. It's, it's worth a watch, you know. I, I've seen it twice now. Yeah, I think everybody should see it. I've seen it twice, and uh, it'll be a few years before I watch it again. But If ever. If ever. But uh, everybody should see it at least once. All right. And if you're so inclined, uh, do some research. You know, I'm sure there's books about out there about it, mm -hmm. about his death. You know? What do you think? Good question. And if, uh, if any of you want to uh, write in, let me know what you think happened to George Reeves during... On June 16th, 1959. I'm sure opinions are out there. Man of screen at gmail.com. All right, so let's take another quick break. We will play a promo. And then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about some of the uh, legacy of the series. What this series has meant after it's gone off the air and what its place in history is. We'll be back. It was 1941, and a war was raging in Europe that would spread destruction and death across the world. Superheroes like Superman, Batman, and Captain Marvel were on the rise at newsstands everywhere. But one hero was about to debut that would change the world of comics. Forever. Amazon. Goddess. Warrior. Hero. Wonder Woman, one of the most well-known and beloved comic heroes to ever grace the medium. Hello, I am J. David Weeder. Join me as I explore the comic book adventures of the amazing Amazon throughout her 75-plus years of history on the Sensational Adventures of Wonder Woman podcast. You can find the show on iTunes or at wonderwoman.supermanforever.com. The Sensational Adventures of Wonder Woman. All right, welcome back, folks. And for this final segment, we're going to talk a little bit about... Uh 
the legacy of the adventures of Superman. So, after the uh, the dust settled and on George Reeves' death and the decision to officially end the show at that point, you know, the show could carry on without John Hamilton, but it could not carry on without its star. And they did try. I will put it to you that way. They actually went as far as to pitch to Jack Larson a Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen show starring George Reeves after his death with body doubles and stock footage. Mm. Needless to say, Jack Larson was aghast. Yeah. And I'm really glad that Jack Larson said no way. No way, no how, not ever. Yeah. And that was the end of that. However, and I'm, and this is something I'm going to cover on the next episode. You're going to have to evaluate me psychologically afterwards, probably. <laughs> but in 1958, on the set of The Adventures of Superman, they filmed something called Super Pup. Yeah, it's a real thing. It's, it's, it's a real thing, and I'm going to actually cover it on, oh, good. The, on the next episode, on episode 70. <laughs> oh, good. I have never seen it as of right now. and I think it is on YouTube. It is. I found it. Okay, good. Everyone should watch that too. Yes, if I have to watch it, so do you. Right. I will send. I will put a link up. Yes, but not so, only are they using the the set, but Super Pup himself is. Do you know who? Mark exactly. Ugh. So there, there's that. More on that in episode seventy. Some, <laughs> yeah. some, something to look forward to. Yeah. So I guess that lends some credence to the fact that the show was canceled after season six. If they're doing that in 1950, if they're trying to do that in Trying to do that in 58, right. There was that. There was the Jack Larson thing. And then something else I'm going to talk about in the next episode, which was a Far Cry Better Than Super Pup, the on-air Superboy pilot. That is a shame that didn't take off. Because that was based on on the Superboy comics of the day with Police Chief Parker and Ma and Pa Kent and young Clark Kent with a costume. No Smallville here. So that's, that's a good of, pilot. That's, that's a good kind pilot. Of stuff that happened after the deaths of George Reeves. Yeah, that's a good pilot. So um, that's also, I think, on YouTube. So people should be able to watch that, too. So, so Bob, in your eyes, what is this show's place in the history of Superman? Wow. Um you know, I, I think some of it is generational, obviously. To my generation, George Reeves is and always will be the Superman. That doesn't take away from anybody else that's ever worn the suit. You know, I'm not saying that they all sucked except him. But to people of my generation, uh, you know, if you say Superman, that's who you visualize in your head. It's it's him. And um you know, I think they were really smart to film the last four seasons anyway in color right. because um, and there is some, you know, question as to whose idea it was. You know, I was even told by the son of Mort Weisinger, Dr. Hendry Weisinger, recently that it was Mort Weisinger's idea. Mort Weisinger was the story editor right. for The Adventures of Superman and gets very little credit for that. But that's why you'll see a lot of the episodes will appear in a comic or vice versa. Right. Because Mort Weisinger was the story editor and came up with a lot of the stories. On that same hand, season one was run by Robert Maxwell, who came from the radio show. Exactly. Which is why you, you season one recycled some of the old radio show plots. Exactly. 
And tonality is totally right. different between the Maxwell and and uh, the Weisinger era and the Whitney Ellsworth stuff. Because Whitney Ellsworth, Weisinger, they're the comic book people who had major input into the, the show. But, uh, you know, because it has lasted so long and because, you know, up until last year it was on MeTV every Saturday, you know, generationally kids are still watching it. I know when I plop my little five-year-old niece down in front of it, particularly the color episode, she'll, right. she's right there. She's right there and right in on it. So, you know, to my generation, you can't say enough about George Reeves. To me, you can't say enough about George Reeves. Right. The, to me, the saddest part of all of this is that he didn't live to see how much of an effect he had on generations right. of kids, people who grew up and, and, and um, you know, were good kids because of it. Right. I, I just don't think you can say enough about it. I don't argue with people anymore. I know some young people who will dismiss it right out of hand, right. who will make jokes about him being old and fat, who will, you know, make jokes about the uh, the ill-fitting costume or Jack Larson's comedy roles or whatever and just dismiss it out of hand. And now I've just come across or come up that, well, it's your loss. Right. You know, it, it's your loss. I think if you are a Superman fan and for you it started with John Byrne or Christopher Reeve, that's fine. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to hold that against you because your generation grew up with a different Superman. But I think you really owe it to yourself. The DVDs are really cheap. And to pick, you can really pick up all six seasons practically for, what, 20 bucks now and you can get the whole thing. So... If you call yourself a Superman fan and you're going to go buy two action figures for 20 bucks, I'm going to say put that money towards this and you'll do yourself a really big favor. I think everybody should watch these shows and see them. And um, to me, they're, you know, they're right up there with Christopher Reeve. You know, you, to me, you can't put one above the other. They are of their time. But like Christopher Reeve. You can get Reeve, the whole set on Amazon for 50 bucks. There you go. See? So, and if you do it, click the Amazon link at twotruefreaks.com. Yes. So, uh, I highly recommend everyone doing that. It's, it's just, you know, I, I really can't say enough. It's because of George Reeves that I'm a Superman fan today. It's, you know, because of him right. that that comic book where my cousin put it in my hand the first time. It wasn't that, wow, this is something cool and new. It was, wow, this is Superman. You know, and I'm thinking it's George Reeves. Right. So I don't hold it against you if, you know, if John Byrne is your Superman or Christopher Reeve or Henry Cavill, the young people coming in today, right. uh, or even the animated series of the 90s. That's great. Those are those are great examples of Superman. But if you really want to feel the emotion. And I think if you've listened to us talk about this over the last 50 episodes right. here, you get a feeling for the idea that there, yeah, there's some really bad campy stuff. And right? we've made fun of quite a bit. And we have made fun of them uh, when appropriate. But at the same time, you know, there are episodes that put a little tear in your eye that, that will make you smile, that will go make you jump and go, yes, hooray, right up to the last, Perils of Superman. It was just a terrific episode. And uh, I, I would put that right up with the, the great episodes of the first season. So for me... We've made fun of, of several of many things over the course of the coverage of this show. Yes, we have. One of, one of them, never was one of them, George Reeves' performance as Superman. Never, never. 
Absolutely never. He may not have wanted to be Superman. He may have wanted to be, you know, uh, Clark Gable. He may have wanted to be doing the, the, the top flight movies. But when they said action, he was giving it his all. And I'll say that about every cast member there. They never let you know that they were just shooting a kid's show. They were in it to win it, so to speak. It was, and particularly George Reeves. And I think even from the get-go, he set the example for everybody there. So regardless of what he may or may not have thought when the cameras turned off or in his private moments, uh, according to Jack Larson, he called it a monkey suit once and he never heard him say it again, ever. Right. And the same I heard from Noel Neal, that to her, he never made fun of the costume, ever. Right. So... You know, to me, I, you know, you can't say enough. I think, you know, if you listen to what you and I have done over the last 50 episodes or so, uh, right. you will see that, yeah, we've made fun of it. But for me, and I think you now, it's been, you know, from uh, from a place of respect and admiration for it. Well, the one thing about, you know, this show, especially with late 80s syndication, we are 28 years apart. You're You are 28 years older than I am. Mm. But we both grew up with this show. Right. You right. were watching it every day. I was watching it once a week. But I came to know this show when I was a kid as well. Mm-hmm. So, Well, let me ask most, you. For, for most of my early life, there were only three Christopher Reeve movies. Right. Superman 4 came later. This is what filled the void. That's true. The reruns of this that I watched on Channel 9 on Saturday mornings or taped off TV on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So what were you going to ask? Well, I was going to say, let me let me ask you. Now that you said, you know, your experience was seeing them in reruns on Saturdays, but not really every day in order like no. they would show here. So you didn't get that every afternoon, A New Adventure of Superman. So really doing this podcast over the last year of of doing these episodes, has your – what has changed, if anything? Have, you know, what do you, th- what do you think now about George and Phyllis and Noel and Jack and John and Robert? You know, those, those six people there. What, it, what impression – what do you think now about the show after doing, after doing it for a podcast in great detail? Well, I'm not sure anything really changed. I mean, I always enjoyed the show. You know, I always uh, – you know, there was – I think what's changed is now my knowledge of the show. Mm, mm-hmm. At this point, you can probably pick a random scene from it, and I probably can tell you what episode it was in. <laughs> I couldn't do that before. I didn't have right. the knowledge of every episode that I I seem to have now. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see if I retain that over over time. Because I mean, when I, when I when I was going through the episode list, just kind of looking, you know. I didn't remember the Prince Albert code. I didn't remember the Stolen Elephant. The only episodes I really remembered were the ones I had watched repeatedly that I had on videotape. Mm-hmm. Where episodes like Panic in the Sky, Superman on Earth, Semi-Private Eye, you know, the real touchstone episodes. You know, you know the ones that were, were popular that were rerun during those, those uh, Superman festivals. I think I only really recorded four random episodes that I just kind of popped the tape in one day and recorded some Superman. Mm-hmm. That Those four were The Lucky Cat and Superman Week and Money to Burn and The Town That Wasn't. Mm-hmm. Everything everything else that I watched was on was on some kind of official release. So, Well, if you had told me when you were born, let's say 30, you were round up 30 years ago, 
Uh, I, was, I was born in 1980. Okay, so if you had told me I'm, in I'm 1980. Okay, I was married in 1980. I got married in 1980. But uh, if you had told me in 1980 that there would come a time when I would have all 104 episodes plus the stamp day plus the movie of the Mole Men in my own little possession that I could just pop in and watch any time I wanted. I was said, you're crazy. Because even at that point when I'm doing this, you know, I, I have a, um, I was a, a filmmaker at a point, a young, right. you know, eight millimeter, 16 millimeter filmmaker at one point. And I have uh, a three minute piece of eight millimeter color film that I shot pointing my camera at the TV screen because I didn't have any color episodes and I had rarely seen a few of them in color in the 70s, by the 70s, because my parents really didn't get a color TV until the 60s at some time. So in, even in reruns, it wasn't until the mid or late 60s where they started actually you know, showing them in color. So in the 70s, when they were showing them in rerun, and I'm in my own apartment by this point. It, it dawned on me and Superman was on and it was in color. I pulled out my uh, eight millimeter camera and just shot it off the screen for three minutes. And it's basically a takeoff. It's the, it's the episode with uh, the fortune teller that was telling the old man, trying to get the old man to oh, kill himself. Uh, the, uh, the man who made dreams come true. The man who made dreams come true. See, and I it, wouldn't have been able to do that before. Good, see, <laughs> but it was uh, I have three minutes of that. And until later in the 80s when I got a VCR and could then start taping a few of them. And then it was when uh, Nick at Night came on the air. When Nick uh, Nickelodeon, they did, when they were going to start airing uh, these episodes, they did a weekend where they showed them all in chronological order. I had a Betamax, a beta machine. Right. And uh, I sat here and watched and slept very little that that weekend and recorded every episode on beta. I still have those up there. I don't have a machine anymore to play them. But uh, I have all of those Nickelodeon uh, when they showed them that weekend. And I sat and wrote the notes. Uh, so that was sometime around 1980, 81, 82. Uh, and, you know uh, what? Even if I said that in 1990 – that you'd own them all. It's still not practical with the technology of the time. Exactly. I remember at one point I had an interest in Star Trek was doing it, releasing every episode mm -hmm. on VHS. And I wanted it. Basically, my dad said, no, it was way too expensive. Right. And it was because only two episodes per tape on standard play. Right. And it was cost prohibitive. Yeah. When Lois and Clark was on, Tom and I, Tom was on the uh, Supergirl show with it. On the Supergirl show with yes, us. Yes, yes. We both recorded every episode of Lois and Clark. <laughs> and even on the extended play, the six-hour right. mode, right. I might have stuck a few eight-hour tapes in there, too. But <laughs> it still took over ten tapes, mm -hmm. videotapes on a shelf to to get the whole thing, all 88 episodes. 87, yeah. really. The pilot was two episodes. But now, since ten years later... Late nineties, early two thousands, really, when we entered the uh, the DVD era, all of a sudden, TV shows on home video became a thing because it was suddenly affordable. It was affordable and took up less space. And now with digital, you can you can buy it all and own it digitally. Yes. And take up no space. Right. The internet being both everywhere and nowhere. <laughs> exactly. You know, but there was really no 
There was no way for any of them at the time the show was made to imagine that people would still be talking about it. Oh, no. No way at all. Later. No way. No, they had no idea it would last this long. And I, I think some of these episodes still stand up and they're fun to watch. And and um, I'm just glad that they periodically they do pop up on cable TV. Right. Uh, me TV will bring it back. They'll rotate it. They'll bring it back. I think what, pe- what people now who are coming to this for the first time now – and I think this is where a lot of people fail with, with older material. Mm-hmm. You have to watch it through the prism of when it was made. Yeah, I think you really do. You can't hold it to the same standard that you would hold a no. modern program. No, you can't. You can't do that. You have to look at it with the understanding that this was made in a time before digital technology, before any technology, really. Right. So, for what they are and when they were made and for the money they were made for. <laughs> yeah. You know. I think George Reeves would love the fact that people are still talking about this show. Yeah. I think, although I think had he lived, he might have been a little bit disappointed about what royalties he may or may not have gotten. <laughs> right. But, yeah, he still wouldn't have become rich on them. Right. No, but I think he would have liked, he would have been happy to know that his work 60 years later still finds an audience and is still appreciated by people all that time later. And there are still groups of people that gather annually and not just in Metropolis for the Superman celebration, but uh, in different parts, uh, Jim Nolt and and a bunch of people, you know, basically guys my age and even older get together. Uh, and uh, a couple of months, I think it was two months ago, they all got together in Florida. Right. And they actually had a color and a black and white costume there. And I, I think what I'm going to do now is, if, you know what, if I'm home, there's that on Facebook, there's that rewatch club. Yes. You know, maybe from home at seven o'clock and not doing anything. I'll put the two, maybe I'll put the two episodes that they're watching on and watch along. And watch along, exactly. I've done that a couple times. You know, if if I'm home, I'm not doing anything else. I have, right. I have one and a half kids at the moment, right. so right. I, I'm no guarantee that I'll be home in time to do it. But it might be fun once in a while. You're pretty Obviously, close. That's... You're pretty close to that second one coming yeah. up here. About a month, month or so away. Yeah. Yeah. They have her due at the end of July, but I don't think it's going to take that long. <laughs> a couple other things I want to touch on is, and this is something you and I have dis- you and I have discussed before. Mm. I am not sure that Jimmy Olsen is still around without this show, without the popularity of Jack, Jack Larson. Oh, absolutely not. No way. No way. Jimmy Olsen is a footnote other than this show. Jack Larson on this show is what turned Jimmy from being just the copy boy that Perry would say something about in the comic book once or twice every six months to getting his own comic that went for over 120 issues. I mean, it was like, what, 20 years? 15, 16, what are 50, I think it was 56, 57 to... um, some hard issues, right? Yeah, it was a long time. So, you know, no, it would not have been. And uh, Lois would not have gotten her own either. Those two comics would not have existed. Uh, Lois, of course, would have maintained a... a, Lois would have stuck around, though, without this show. Would have stuck around without the show because of her importance to to Superman. But Jimmy would not have... Jimmy might have gone the way of, you know, Steve Lombard. Yes, Exactly. They try to bring back every once in a while, but his heyday was clearly the silver and bronze age, and we haven't really heard much of him since. You know, a little bit here and there, but... Lombard? Yeah. 
Lumbar wasn't Silver Age. He was late Bronze Age. Oh, he, he was late. He was late Bronze Age. Late Bronze Age. He was mostly, you know, he was part of that whole '90s, that '80s. They loved him in the '80s and '90s. He was in every issue. Got on now, my Lombard, nerve. Lombard was gone. Was Lombard didn't appear in the post crisis until it, Jeff Johns showed up. No, I think Bailey's always griping about Lombard being Lum, Steve Lombard being in those '90s death and return of Superman and mm-hmm. stuff. There was no Lombard there. Really. Hmm. Nah, the only Lombard I remember is some of the smatterings of pre-crisis stuff that I have from yeah. f- some 60s and mostly 70s. Well, I just try to put Lombard totally out of my mind. I think yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy probably would have faded away. Maybe he would have still been around, but I don't think he would have been Yeah, exactly. important there, the way he is now. Right. There's a, a little edited video I uh, put up on uh, Facebook or shared it or whatever i found a link somewhere somebody put it up and it's real short it's like five minutes or so of people talking about the color episodes and there's a little bit in there of jack larson saying that his character changed from being a kid in trouble to comic relief and jack larson has said that he's really he really enjoyed that absolutely he loved that stuff and uh uh, then they showed a couple of picture stills of the same scene of uh, him putting a pencil on his nose uh, with Perry doing the with same Perry thing. With Perry doing it. Yeah, yeah. but I, that's, that's in Boy Editor. You see, I couldn't have done that before. Yeah. And in that scene, Clark comes into the de- comes into his office and says, you know what? I walked in on Jimmy Olsen exactly like that quite a few times. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it, was just, it was just. And that's actually how um was the first color episode. Well, Jim, I think that was the first time Jimmy was ba- – we said Jimmy balanced the pencil. Right. Boy, editor was season two in black and white. Exactly. But the first time we actually see Jimmy do it is in a color episode after Perry had done it in a black and white, but told that Jimmy had done it more than once. So that was a fun way for them to start the color episode, Caesars, with uh, the first scene we see is Jimmy coming into camera view trying to balance a pencil on his nose. Time barrier. Through the time barrier, yeah. Now, obviously, we we had heard that there were scripts developed, and uh, none of us have read any of those said scripts. Mm-mm. So, one thing I want to ask: we've talked about this before in the past, but never on an episode. Yeah. Did this series end where it was supposed to? No, I don't think so. I think it would have been picked up again had George lived, right? Because there are stories of him. Actually reading and Noel Neal tells a story or told a story and why she doesn't believe it was suicide is because he was really looking forward to the next season of Superman because he was doing a lot of the behind the scenes work. Right. And he was going to do this film, this movie. I guess a better question would have been, did this show still have something to offer? Yeah, I think it did. I think it did. If if you go by, and we even did this, you know, we talked about this during during some of our coverage of it. Had it ended after season five, I would have said they've done enough. It's over. Yeah. Goodbye. But because they kind of rejuvenated it with season six, some of the stories were really good. Right. You can uh, see the change, the slide, the change in direction. Yeah. And I think had it gone in that and it continued in the direction that we saw in, say, the last six or the last half of the season of season six, where you've got uh, the cube and divide and conquer and you've got uh, perils of Superman. And and, I mean, you know, those are really good episodes. 
and some of I, the best of the color of the color seasons. Oh, absolutely, and and I think had they continued in that direction with a few of the Professor Potter Pepperwinkle, you know, episodes scattered here and there. Uh, yeah, I definitely think so. Uh, Noel often said she was ready to come back. Right. You know, there was no question in her mind. And I'm sure Jack would have come back, too. They, I, I, I don't think there was a problem even after uh, John Hamilton's death. Right. It could but, recover from the death of John Hamilton, but yeah. not from the death of George Reeves. Not, not with George Reeves. They couldn't have done that show. I think that's why Super Pup would have been a failure. That's why the... Uh, oh, Jim that's Ellis. why Super Pup would have been a failure? Well, it would have been a failure for many other reasons, uh, particularly, you know, dwarfs in dog head costumes. And, that, I'm, and I'm saying that not having watched it yet, folks. Oh, wait till you see it. I've yeah, watched I, it. I've watched it. Uh, yeah. I uh, have a feeling my opinion is not going to change after I watch it. No, it's not. I'm sure it's not. Uh, I think the only thing they had in the late 50s early 60s that would have been a potential success would have been the superboy series i think that pilot is very good i'm looking forward to watching that i've been purposely holding off on watching either of them yeah until you're ready to do until it Until i'm ready to do them because i want my uh understood i want my reactions to be yeah i think my only uh, a little more honest than uh, something i'd never seen before my only criticism really of the superboy pilot is that the version that's flying around out there the film is is not particularly uh it's not a good copy but if the film were in good shape because it was filmed and it was filmed in black and white not color which was surprising because you know they had already shot four seasons of superman in color a year had passed and they did this they could have, but they chose to shoot it in black and white. But I think that was an interesting choice. Well, there were still a lot of shows in the early 60s being filmed in black and white. Oh, most of them were. There were only a handful of westerns and a few detective shows that were shot in color. Uh, maybe one or two of the doctor shows. Uh, Lucy had switched to color by that point, I think. Um but, you know, there were, you know, all of the big hits of the time were still really black and white until you get into uh, 65 and 66. That's why 66, the Batman show, was such a big deal right? because uh, it was on in color. So, you know, it was a big deal. Color in the mid-60s was a big deal. So, but I think the legacy is going to last, you know, even well beyond my age. You know, right. uh, be, you know, I'll be long gone and kids and people will still be watching the George Reeves versions of uh, of this show. I, I definitely hope so. And, and we've, we've definitely talked about how uh, the color... I'm not sure kids today be, are as willing to watch black and white. Mm -hmm. Probably you know not. And I mean, it's too bad because they're going to miss out by not watching that those first two seasons. I, th I think filming it in color was tremendous foresight. Yes. And I don't think the show lasts as long as it does in its post-production life mm -mm, mm -mm. without color episodes. No, I'm not, I don't think it would have lasted even in its time period, right. even though it was never broadcast real time in color. I, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure. But I think the color added longevity. Added right. I'm, I'm sure there were a ton of shows that aired in the 50s that nobody's heard from again. Exactly. That died out because they never went color. Right. The, the show did. And Superman is one of those characters that needs to be in color. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's uh, yeah. But somebody was talking earlier. I saw somebody online uh, uh, because there are a lot of color 
colorized stills from Mole Men and scenes from the first season, Peril in the uh, Panic, Panic in, in the, the Sky. sky. Uh, others have colorized some of the scenes, but the episodes themselves have never been colorized. And I don't want them to. No, and you know, at this point in time, I don't think that's ever going to happen. No, it's fun seeing some of the stills and what it might have looked like. Sometimes for my desktop wallpaper, I'll use a colorized scene from Superman and the Mole Men. It's where the uh, the Mole Men are shooting, using the vacuum cleaner thing and shooting the... Right. And Superman's got his arms out and they're kind of not really bouncing off his chest, but, you know. Uh, so I have a colorized still of that that I kind of like. If you look at the uh, DVD case for the Kirk Allen set, because I believe you have the same one I do. Yes. Kirk Allen is shown on the cover in, color, in, a, right. in a colorized picture, which right. looks wrong. It does look wrong. Because it he's does. never been, ever been in color. Yeah, yeah. So that looks wrong. And uh, actually, uh, that's on my uh, schedule for the coming week. I'm going to sit down finally and watch uh, Superman versus Adam Man in its entirety. I'm just going to, one afternoon, I'm going to do the whole thing. Uh, I have not done that in years. And um, and then go back and re-listen to your take on it again. I don't, I don't know if I can go back and listen to those early episodes now. <laughs> well, well, it has been a nice ride, Mike. It, it has, has been man. a nice ride. It has, and I thank you for all your help on this journey. The oh. episodes that you were on were better for you being on them. Oh, thanks. I, I appreciate it. It was my pleasure. This was, you know, uh, this is a very special series to me. It's, you know, it's George Reeves. It's my Superman. And uh, like I said earlier, it's rare that I got a chance to actually talk in detail like this and you being able to actually do two of them per episode with no time constraints lovely listeners we don't right. we don't mike and i when we sit down to do these we're not saying okay we need to be done by x time and uh oh uh we clear our night for this yes we do and uh unfortunately i've given mike a whole lot of stuff to edit but 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 i've had a great time with this this has just been uh, a lot of fun talking about you know, my favorite Superman. It's the way I wore my cape as a kid. The other kids in the neighborhood would tie it around their neck. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Mine was tucked in like it's supposed to be and hanging low like it's supposed to. I used to, when I was a kid, I tied my Superman cape around my neck. Well, that's okay. That's okay. I'll forgive you. At least you had a cape on. And I wore a cape quite a bit around the house. Yeah. I, I would wear my Superman cape around the house on weekends. Oh, I wore mine all the time, all the time. And and I've told stories that until I actually went to school, started first grade, I don't remember taking it off. I wore it under my clothes just in case I was it was needed. Uh, you know, I uh, there's a funny story. I guess I was about five, maybe six. Hadn't started school yet, but it was Christmas. And my sister and I are sitting on Santa's lap and it's a color picture. And uh, you can just see the red at the bottom of my pants leg. I had this wool gray suit that my mother loved and I hated because it itched. So I wore my Superman costume under it always. Yeah, I had I had a pair of blue. I had a, probably a bunch of these mm. blue Superman pajamas, blue pants and uh, blue shirt. With, yeah. And the cape attached with a very small cape, but it attached with uh, Velcro. Mm. I don't think they had Velcro when I was a kid. <laughs> But the cape like only would only come down to like the the small of my back, so it wasn't a really good cape. 
Mm. I always had to take it off before bed. I never wanted to. Well, that was, must have been why Frank Quinely wrote through his Superman yeah. with a tiny little cape. It always bothered me, though. Worst thing about have... All-Star Superman. It always bothered me, though, that the pants didn't have the briefs. Mm, right. They were just standard blue blue pants. Yeah, for your pajamas? Yeah. Yeah. They didn't have the briefs drawn on. Yeah, I never had Superman pajamas. I'm not sure they made those until I was yeah. older. Um, I, I, I was lucky because my uh, cape, my Superman cape that came with the costume, which was probably the play suit, I think, at the time, was a softer, cottony-type fabric. It wasn't that shiny and I hated the shiny costume. Um, uh, but actually, if you watch the episode of I Love Lucy where little Ricky uh, has a costume on and Lucy's folding it, that was my suit. That was my Superman costume. It was the identical costume that little Ricky is wearing. You know, I think if I – did you listen to that episode? Of your Lucy episode? Yeah. Yes, I did. I, I think I wondered if you had one like that. Mm-hmm. I meant to write you in the email. I meant to mention that. I think I said it during the show. Like, I wonder if Bob Fisher had a suit. Like yes, that. and I meant to say something when we got together that following, because I think we recorded the following weekend right. or two weekends after that. And I meant to say something, but I didn't write it down. And, right. And it slipped my mind. But yeah, that was the identical costume that I had. It was the same one little Ricky had. Yep. All right, so why don't we wrap this thing up? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of hate to, but it's got to. But yeah. like I said, it was a fun ride, Mike. No, 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 this was fun, and I thank you for coming along on the episode that you did. My pleasure, my and pleasure. We'll have to look for excuses to bring you back. Any old time, because yeah. you're going to be talking about stuff that I've probably seen. So, you know, some of it I've loved, and some of it, Superman Returns, not so much. <laughs> like I said, I thank you for coming on. This was a lot of fun, and... There'll be other opportunities. Good. Whether whether it's the main show or Man of Screen Extra talking about whatever. Whatever. Superman's going to be popping up. Yep, he is. Yeah. We'll have to get you over to Superman Forever Radio sometime, too. Yeah, definitely. So next time the show is going to return, like I mentioned before, I'm going to take a few weeks off. The uh, episode 70 is scheduled for August 1st, and that will be the aforementioned episode on Super Pup and the unaired Superboy pilot. Actually, both of them were unaired. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the show will come back in early September to kick off the uh, filmation cartoons. So that's uh, gonna be fun. That's those gonna be fun. fun. I haven't watched yeah. them. I don't know if I. I think I've watched those. I'm not sure. I I haven't seen them in a long time. I might even have those DVDs around here somewhere. But I'll be following you. I'll be watching, right. listening. Till next time. See you around, everybody. Bye. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the Amazing Man of Screen Podcast. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright to their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual, and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.
sabias brindar aquellos ojos serenos con lago en cuyas quietas aguas un día me miré no saben las tristezas que mi alma deja aquellos ojos verdes que yo nunca besaré. Good night.